Welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by FDN Thrive. We interview people who have dealt with the trickiest of health challenges, but eventually learn to get well and stay well naturally. Now it's time to hear from one of our detectives and learn how another health issue has been solved. We hope you enjoy the show. So I have this husband who's suffering from a terrible autoimmune disease. I have myself who's suffering from an autoimmune disease. And then I just had woman after woman coming into my practice with sick mom, sick child, depression, anxiety, kids with attention deficit. And I thought, this isn't right. Something isn't right. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by FDN Thrive. My name is Evan Transu, a.k.a. Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. Oh, my goodness. Do we have a show for you? <laughs> this episode and interview was amazing. It is going to go for a lot longer than we normally go on this show, and for quite a good reason. In my opinion, it wasn't even long enough, but there's just a certain point where we want to make sure everyone actually retains the information and gets to hear everything that we're sharing. And I was lucky enough to get to talk to one of my all-time favorite docs, Dr. Courtney Hunt. I've been following her work for quite some time and the things that she's doing. I think I remember tuning in at like four or 5,000 Instagram followers and you know she's well over 30,000 now and climbing pretty rapidly and for very good reason. The stuff that this woman's putting out, the work that she's doing for people, I mean, it's thankless, dude. It's selfless and thankless. She is putting out way more than she could ever receive back. And I have a lot of respect for that, first of all, and that's one of the reasons we wanted to get her on the show. But number two is just her story and information is interesting. It is so fascinating the way she mixes up all of these seemingly unconnected topics. And we start with stuff that's pretty typical on the show. You know, how did we get into the health stuff? Oh, I had my own health problems, right? She was a traditionally trained um, OBGYN, had her own health issues, Husband had her own health issues that she wasn't able to help him with, with her traditional training. And so she needed to change her paradigm to get her health under control and her husband's health under control. That's pretty typical. But then we end up going into this next level of stuff towards the end where she's showing us how because we are in such a low state of, for lack of a better word, consciousness, because so many people are so sick. A lot of the advanced technologies that we're creating in today's world are learning from our bad behavior. And I want to preface this before we get there. And, you know, that's going to only be for certain people. Not everyone's going to even want to listen that far, perhaps. It might just be too much. That's fine. But I want to preface it by saying when I bring someone on the show, when we bring someone on the show, I'm vetting what they're saying. And the reason that I'm saying that is because Dr. Hunt is on such a next level, in my opinion, of intelligence, that it almost can seem too far out. And if you don't actually do some research yourself and really give this some credit, then you're not going to know if what's being said is accurate or not, or it's very easy to dismiss. So what I will tell you is that I've been indirectly vetting this person, not that wasn't the intention, right? But I've been doing that indirectly for the last four or five years. So I could personally verify it. But I encourage you to do your own research. If something in here, you're like, does that make sense? Is this real? Look it up yourself. 
Don't be that person that just dismisses it because it makes you a little uncomfortable to think about. Be the person who says, all right, I'm going to give this an honest shot and I'm going to do my own research to see if I can find something similar. And when you do, actually let that sink in and really think about what you're reading and what is actually going on. And we're not talking some grand conspiracy theory. Don't worry. I don't mean to get like that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I never would have understood the impact that our sick world is having on the artificial intelligence that we're creating. But it is not only having it, it's happening now. Dr. Cordy Hunt is not talking about something that is theoretical. I mean, there are theoretical concepts in the podcast, to be clear. I'm not, I'd want to be straight up about what I'm saying. The idea, though, that our sick world is actually teaching the AI that we're creating very bad habits is a factual statement that is already happening. It's kind of crazy. And so if you are interested in a variety of topics and you like venturing where other people don't, this is the show for you. Now, the first 50 minutes, an hour, if you're just here for the health stuff, that's totally fine. If you want to hear how the health stuff relates to an even bigger thing in this world, that's when you listen to the last 30, 40 minutes because we get into it then, that's for sure. I'm going to read Dr. Hunt's bio for you guys. Now, we have the full thing in the show notes. I would highly recommend reading that because I do think that's important. But for the sake of today's episode, and since it's already a really long one, and we're going to actually overlap with a lot of the bio, I just want to give you the basics right now. So long story short, she has spent the majority of her career as a board certified OBGYN, helping women, mothers, and their children deal with 21st century illnesses that current medical textbooks fail to address. Most of these illnesses arise from our changing modern environment. After many years delivering babies, Dr. Hunt grew tired of seeing mother after mother and woman after woman come in feeling exhausted, foggy, achy, and sad. Worse yet, she grew concerned about the growing number of sick children these women were bringing in with them, children of all ages. Dr. Hunt herself was a busy delivering obstetrician and operating gynecologist and has spent years translating that expertise into figuring out how to make surgery and pharmaceuticals less necessary and lifestyle more important in the path to wellness. She began to study nutrigenetics many years ago when she started to realize that the majority of her pregnant patients were nutrient-depleted and grew concerned over the impact this could have on the fetus. Now, again, this bio goes on even longer. Please check it out in the show notes. And many things that were on there we're actually going to get to in the episode. But I do not want to take any more time away from this interview. You guys are really going to love this one. This was one of the most fun episodes I have done on this entire podcast. I have no problem saying it. Without further ado, let's get to the episode. All right. Hello, Dr. Hunt. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Hello. Thank you for having me. I just was thinking how much I love working with you. Your your professionalism shines. I appreciate that very much. And for those that don't know, um, Dr. Hunt and I were actually doing some radio stuff together, not like literally all the time, but she was by far the most listened to and downloaded guest for um, a radio show I had in Philadelphia that I was doing before I got this. This is actually one of the reasons I'm doing this now. And yeah, I actually really couldn't believe how well people received the message, especially considering this is like your demographic. This is your people that you need to be talking to. 
that radio show gets everyone. And I was like, okay, I'm so glad that people actually care about this. That's, that's amazing. And this is going to be, if you're an avid listener, um, what are we, is this going to be probably episode 89 or 90? I'm not sure yet, but nonetheless, this is going to be a little different and, uh, very good, different, very fun, different. So I'm looking forward to doing this, but it is going to start off similarly to how we start these other episodes. And Dr. Hunt, how we always start off is just by asking people when their health symptoms started and what those looked like, because I know before you got into any of the stuff that you're into now, just like all of us here, you had a health journey and some things were not going so well. So tell us about that a little bit. Well, since you shared with me that 80% of your viewership is female, functionally interested providers, um, I first started having problems in my mid thirties and they started vaginally ironically. So I'm a gynecologist and very open about talking about these things, but I started having symptoms of what's called lichen sclerosis or lichen planus or um, symptoms down there. And as a gynecologist, uh, you know, I always tried to self-treat just like every good doctor doesn't want to go to the doctor. Um, And so I finally went to a specialist and realized what was wrong. And that led me to a doorway of figuring out that I had hypothyroidism and that it was actually my hypothyroidism that was causing these vaginal symptoms that as a gynecologist, I couldn't figure out what it was. Um, and so when I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's in my mid thirties, I instantly just went down the normal, you're a doctor, here's the Synthroid that you take path, started self-medicating with Synthroid, um, and just left it at that. And I started feeling worse and worse and worse and worse. My vaginal symptoms weren't getting better. Um, I started gaining weight. I was an avid hiker and I couldn't hike anymore. Not gaining weight like that thickness around your thighs. Um, and so I, uh, in 2015, was a busy OBGYN in solo practice, delivering babies 24-7. I had two little babies myself. I had a child at 39 and 40 um, that I breastfed and took to work with me and then delivered babies all night. So I really didn't sleep for many years, uh, for like 20 years. And, um, and it just came crashing down on me. So I, I decided I was going to figure out what was wrong with me and how to fix it. I was not going to live with Hashimoto's and, um, fatigue. So ultimately I wasn't going to live the rest, the rest of my life that way. Ultimately it was my memory that started going. I have a, I had, and I've gotten it back, a near photographic memory. And so um, I felt that slipping. I felt myself getting to the point in my late 30s and well, actually early 40s probably where I could barely read a book and process the information. And so I thought, okay, I need to figure out what this is. I do not want to be one of these women with early onset dementia. I need to figure this out and reverse it. Um, so it started with with that as my story between my like mid to late 30s and early 40s. So when do you get to the point where you start questioning the narrative that you've been taught? Because I actually, you know, people always act like the doctor should just know all this stuff. And it's not surprising when they get into the functional side. I'm actually more impressed when a doctor gets into that because for years, you guys are taught this paradigm of, okay, here's a symptom. We'll treat this with this medication. And so I feel like it takes a pretty unique thought process to not only challenge that, but then go and figure out what else do I need to do and what do I need to do differently? So when do you get to the point where you're like, okay, this is objectively not working and I need to actually change something to get better? Well, for me, that was in pregnancy, other people's pregnancies. 
Um, my husband along the way was also diagnosed with celiac at, uh, in his late forties, he almost died from a bout of, um, an intussusception with celiac, which is where the bowel telescopes on itself. And that was misdiagnosed in him his whole life. So I have this husband who's suffering from a terrible autoimmune disease. I have myself who's suffering from an autoimmune disease. And then I just had woman after woman coming into my practice with sick mom, sick child, depression, anxiety, kids with attention deficit. And I thought, this isn't right. Something isn't right. So I guess I have a very strong memory from residency. Um, There was a Dr. Greenspoon at UCLA who drove information about MTHFR into my head. Um, Thank God he did. And the difference between folate and folic acid and what are we supplementing our moms with in the vitamins? Now, I don't think back then that would have been late 1990s. We had all the knowledge that we have now, but I remember sitting in a room with him just driving the information. You have to understand folate metabolism. You have to understand how MTHFR affects a pregnancy. And I think it was because of that. I started looking at my pregnant moms. And about that time, I was doing all this research on my husband's celiac. And I was reading GI journal after GI journal and the zinc deficiency, the B12 deficiency, the folate deficiency, the cholesterol deficiencies, in people with celiac. And I was then seeing celiac in my pregnant patients. And I was seeing moms with babies growing these babies who were developing intrauterine growth restriction, low amniotic fluid. And you don't, unless you're looking for it, you don't come a lot across a lot of celiac. So the one in 130 people has celiac, but it's missed in the majority of not, not so much now, but back then it was. And so I was looking at these moms and I had one in particular who the other doctors that she was seeing were telling, she had celiac and telling her it was okay if she still ate a little gluten, but I was seeing her baby decompensate rapidly. So I think of the baby like the kidney, it's like one of the end organs. And if something's going to happen, you're going to see it in a pregnancy. You're growing an entire body in 10 months. So this woman had such, she was starting to have such complications from the inflammation and the malnutrition from the celiac that um, I started going to look for answers in nutrition. So, uh, you know, I had a um, a completely insurance-based, large percentage of Medicaid patients at the time. So I would just test the basic nutrients in the lab work that I could get covered by insurance. So I was checking their zinc, their folate, their B12. And I was realizing these women are all, uh, the vitamin D was a big one. These women are all deficient in these nutrients. So it doesn't, in my mind, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to say, okay, if you're going to build a baby, you have to have the right nutrition. And as an obstetrician, I wasn't, other than the methylation piece uh, or just MTHFR at the time, I wasn't trained in any way about nutrition, not thoroughly, not at all, really. Um, So I started looking at the genetics of nutrition and how we eat our food we have enzymes that take the molecules. We break down the food. We have enzymes that take the molecules and convert them into other molecules that we can use to keep us healthy. And I was realizing, why was I not taught this? If we're going to take a, a, a zygote and make it a human in 10 months, the basic building blocks of what we're putting in are so important. They're not an afterthought. They're everything. Um, And that's what pushed me towards nutritional genetics. And so I went to uh, an A4M meeting and was walking down a concourse 
And I saw this man, an ophthalmologist, talking about eyes and methylation in the eye and macular um, degeneration and retinal problems. And it was at the Phoenician and, you know, or not the Phoenician, the Venetian. And at the Venetian, you know, there's all those clouds in the ceiling. And I literally felt like God opened the clouds and struck down lightning and said, look at what this guy's saying. So, and so I spent a long time talking to him about nutrition and decided to jump into nutritional genetics or nutrigenetics. Um, and it just, my deep study went off, just carried on from there. You know, they always say like hindsight's twenty twenty, right? And it's so cool hearing this and how all these just dots connected and you have this curiosity about this and then this realization comes. And it's a little more advanced, admittedly, than most people uh, get with their curiosity on this show to, to some degree. But the reason I always ask that question about, you know, how do you go away from this is because this is the simplest message I ever consistently put out on this show, but it's one that needs to be said over and over again. And it's, guys... If you have a curiosity about something or you feel that something doesn't make sense, what you're being told, it is okay to go question that. I mean, be safe about how you do it. Don't be ridiculous. If you're on a medication that's saving your life right now, not one person here is saying jump off of that. But the point is every single person that has come on here with these amazing stories has been someone every time universally that started with, hmm, like, I wonder if this makes sense or I wonder why this is happening to me. Or I wonder if there's another way to do this. It's this curiosity. I don't know what that is because we have, I know people who are genius level IQ that have never asked those questions and their disease has taken them all the way to their grave, unfortunately. So I'm not sure what makes that character or uh, allows that characteristic in someone, but I'm trying to figure that out. It's a big question, but <laughs> it, it's, it's a pattern I've seen over and over again is just this trust in their curiosity. And so if you guys know something's wrong with you out there and what you're being told in your health journey is maybe not making sense, then you know, you got to be listening to podcasts like this or other episodes, whatever it might be. And so you get into the nutritional well, genetics. Can I comment on that? Please do. I don't want to get too far into the quantum mechanics, but when we come back at the end and we talk about quantum field theory, I think I can, at least from my perspective, shed light on what that is. But let's okay. do that at the end after we talk about the medical stuff first. That is noted literally. I will make sure we do that. That sounds good. Uh, because I've been trying to figure that out. So you get into this nutritional genetic stuff. You're, you're learning more about this. How did you start applying this directly to your life and your husband's life? Like, What did this look like? Because I know both of you have had a fantastic – I mean, you have had a complete resolution. I don't know what the story is with your husband necessarily, but you've had a complete resolution of your health issues. So I just started looking at COMT and MTHFR and I just started playing with that. And I would get, um, I, there was a prenatal diagnostic lab that I used back then when I was practicing OB and they said, yeah, we'll run COMT and MTHFR for you. So I just started with that. And I, I um, you know, the universe runs on string theory and the immune system grows like an onion and the baby unfolds in three layers. Like I, I think, I think of everything like an onion on, unfolding in layers. So I started practicing with MTHFR and COMT and I couldn't believe how much better, especially people with dopamine and serotonin issues, depression, anxiety, ADD, were getting just from explaining methylation to them and just from explaining dopamine turnover to them and getting their food right for those two things. And then after, after that, I went to uh, looking at a 26 different nutritional genetic SNPs 
Um, and then I just kept building from there. And so as my knowledge grew, I had a core, I had one woman who I had known for a long time, who was a patient and, um, had a lot of significant illnesses, uh, atrial fibrillation, sleep apnea, hip damage, neck damage, fibroids, and hypothyroidism. And I said, you know, I know you trust me. We're going to do this with nutrition. If you, if you will be my guinea pig, I want to use nutrition in your genes to, to fix you, help you. And she said, yes, that was in 2000, maybe 14, 2015. So she's been with me the whole time. We, we fixed her histamine intolerance. We fixed her anaphylaxis to, to shrimp um, and bee stings. We fixed a lot. We've gotten her off of her CPAP. So she was my guinea pig. And I just started growing the number of genes that I understood like a language, SNPs that I understood like a language and started reteaching myself the biochemistry that I learned in medical school. Um, and then I had to you know, teach myself about supplements and how they work and where you find the nutrients in the food versus where you can buy it in a bottle. And I just kind of grew it from organically from there. Um, and as I got better, I was able to retain more information. So it got to the point where I'd only have to read a paragraph, a book once and I remembered it and then I could move on faster. It, it's actually kind of an incredible thing because I know some people, it's not that we don't all value memory and intelligence or whatever, but when you are kind of a nerdier person starting out in life and then you lose that, it really sucks. <laughs> and then when you get healthy to kind of get that back and be able to learn things again, it's a pretty, I don't know, that's been a very powerful thing and something I've enjoyed very much. Um, I wouldn't put myself on the same scale as uh, yourself, but I was, yeah, I was that person that could just remember every little thing. And it, it was like weird almost. Right. And right. then I just lost it. My brain wasn't working. I couldn't, I couldn't read anything. It didn't make sense. It was like always one of those things where I'm reading the paragraph over and over again. And no matter how many times I read it, it's like, I'm not retaining my mind somewhere else. Um, and I think that's a huge issue that we see almost universally in the health space. I mean, people can't learn, they can't think they're not questioning anything because their brains are fried. Um, and I don't mean that so literally, but it, it really is. It feels like that's what's happening. And I think, um, you know, we kind of see that because I'm going to share a few things out of context today or bring context to it, I should say. And that's because I follow uh, Dr. Hunt on Instagram. And if you are not following this, guys, you got to be on. I have, I don't even know someone who is providing 25 to 50% of the free content that she's providing. It's at Courtney Hunt MD on Instagram. And every single day she's live, every single day, sometimes multiple times a day, let's be dead honest. Um, and you know, you have people on there sometimes that are coming on and you can see how long they've been working with you or doing the things that you recommend because you can't even believe the stuff they're talking about. It's so advanced, right? And they have no degrees relevant to this whatsoever. And then someone else, unfortunately, not this is not meant to condemn at all. It's not their fault really but their brain is so done and they're so inflamed. I mean, they just, you're saying the same thing three times to them in three different ways. And it's like, they just don't get it. That's pretty scary stuff for people. It's really scary. And I, here's where I think it starts. Uh, I'm going to take it back to high school and college. Our children are not taught how to clean their brain. They're, they're not taught autophagy. And so, so one of my problems with calling what I do functional medicine is that this isn't functional medicine, folks. There's a Nobel Prize for autophagy. So we, those of us who've gone outside the box, and I don't think of myself as outside the box. I think of myself as 30 years ahead of the box. But um, these, I'm not talking about things that are integrative or naturopathic or 
I don't even think that we should have to put ourselves in a different category. I'm talking about things that have won Nobel prizes and you are, and, and the, the viewers here should understand that you guys are too. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for the truth. You don't want the stuff in the textbook that's 30 years old. You want the stuff that's on PubMed now, right? You want to be teaching your patients or clients the things that are in the literature now, not the things that are in the textbooks that you learned in residency 20 or 30 years ago. So um, we have a problem and that our children are not taught even the vocabulary. So I often go back on my Instagram page and I'll just put vocabulary words like what is beta hydroxybutyrate? Learn this word so that when you go to PubMed and you want to look up ketosis and you can't find anything in ketosis, ketosis, ah, but if I type in beta hydroxybutyrate and I know that's a ketone, I get 100 articles. Or look up the word chimera. What's a chimera? I've been working on chimera and palindrome with people lately. A chimera means an organism with different DNA. So if you understand what a chimera is and then you go Google chimera, it'll make sense. So if you just learn the, the words, and this is what you do with your children, you teach them the basic vocabulary so that they can go and look for cross-reference with their computer, the, the word, the, find the right word. We are not teaching our children the basic vocabulary of these things. A child isn't taught really what they need to know about ATP or a mitochondria or something called methylation. They're definitely not taught about what they need to know about quarks in the Higgs field. They're not even given the vocabulary. Then we send them off to college where they're not taught, okay, this is how you clean your brain. If you want to enter autophagy, you have to be spend part of the time in ketosis. You cannot drink beer and eat hamburgers and french fries the whole time and expect that you're going to have your lightning fast memory that you had in high school. We're not preparing them to go absorb the knowledge, whatever wherever they're going for it. We're not teaching them how to do that. So, um, so I think we have a problem in this country because these kids are going to have to understand the quantum physics of what's coming with this quantum internet that's coming at least have the vocabulary. We have to send them off to school knowing how to keep themselves clean. So for many people, it devolves there. They go to a university, they spend too much time partying, they start to lose their brain function, then they get out, they go to their graduate school, and maybe not necessarily drinking, but having too much sugar, having too much pizza, having too much whatever, and they're not taught the fundamentals of how to take care of their brain and preserve their brain so they, they can think clearly. I think that that's a huge point where if we just did did our jobs teaching parents how to teach kids to clean their brains, what you and I experienced with the brain fog, we could, we could have a chance to heal that so that universally we could help our teenagers live a better life in terms of brain function. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I think that's actually a perfect segue because it, it's trying to be useful with my time here and productive. Like, how do I actually segment all these amazing things that we could talk about in this finite period of time that we have? And I think this is totally appropriate to move to that next thing. So it's almost like going on your journey with you. How did you start studying the stuff with ketosis and autophagy or whatever? And I know that our practitioners are, no, are going to know both these terms. Many of them can get into ketosis, like actually measured. They get that. But I could go to my uh, local family practice MD right now and say autophagy. And I guarantee at that practice that I'm referring to, half of them probably don't know what it is. The other half are not going to talk about it in the way that you are. But this is stuff, like you said, that is winning Nobel Prizes. So it's not like every person that's a doctor is learning about this stuff. So what a, what was different about your experience and journey and research that allowed you to go find this stuff and actually utilize it? 
Well, that takes me back to sunshine. So I knew that I knew that when I went to Berkeley, I loved being in the sun. I knew that when I got to medical school at Loyola in Chicago by October, I was so depressed I could barely get off the couch. I knew that wasn't normal. So I spent most of my medical school years studying medical school 12 hours a day and then studying Barnes and Noble self-help books to figure out how to get out of my depression. And I knew that if I did really intense aerobic exercise, like I did a back then, like step classes were popular. So I would go do a step aerobics class for two to three hours. I knew I could bring myself out of the depression with that. And I knew sunshine. I knew, I knew. So when I went back to LA to interview at Cedars and USC and UCLA for OBGYN residency, and it was sunny and I left a blizzard in Chicago. And instantly when I got off the plane, I felt amazing again. I thought, okay, I have to get back to a sunshine state. So all through practicing obstetrics, there's many mornings practicing obstetrics that you have to drive home at sunrise, change your clothes and go back to work. And I knew on those mornings when I would be driving east with the sun in my eyes, even if I hadn't slept all night, I got an instant perk. And so I changed some things in my life. I moved houses to a house on a mountain where I could watch the sunrise. And this was in probably 2016, 2017, as I was walking towards the sunrise no matter how tired I was, with that sun in my eyes, I instantly felt electrified, good, better. And I was listening to someone on a podcast back then talk about that being in a, not a sexual way, but an, a, like an orgasmic feeling of just feeling joy in the sunlight. And I thought, he's right. I'm going to figure out what this is. I am going to figure out, I called it back then flow, because I knew that there was something happening between the light and my mitochondria that I had to figure out what it was. So that led me to start studying every bit of information I could about the electromagnetic field. And right then was when the information was coming out about the peer one and the peer two genes regulating um, mitochondrial expression through the suprachiasmatic nucleus. So I devoured all of that information. Um, I did as much research as I could on the different frequencies of light and how they affect skin conditions, how, you know, all the stuff that people are just starting to talk about with popularity now, histidine, histamine metabolism. It was that year that I told my, my patient and friend that I was talking about earlier, I <clears throat> excuse me, I think with sunshine, we can fix your anaphylactic reactions and your histamine intolerance. Um, ironically, I lost a friend over that, a, a doctor friend over that conversation, but um, I, I just started looking, okay, every single molecule that I'm looking at, how do those aromatic molecules interact with sunlight, UVA light, UVB light? And so I just started studying that um, and then moved on to, okay, well, let's study autophagy. I mean, if they can put yeast into a starvation state and slow down their growth, let's figure out how we do that in mice and how we do that in humans. So it was just kind of a natural progression of where the scientific literature is headed right now. The problem is most people don't have time to study the depth and breadth of scientific literature that's out there. Sorry, I'm fumbling around with my mute thing here. <laughs> um, not only, it, it's not even a time thing, sometimes for some, like we said before, the brains are so inflamed that even if they did have the time to sit there, they have no idea what the hell they're reading. They're like, what did I just look at? Um, and it's not like it's particularly user-friendly for most people. And so it's there's multiple barriers to entry. 
And it is so crazy how many people will look at even myself like I'm crazy. When I'm saying these certain things, I'm like, this is, I'm like, this is science. Like, I don't know what you, I don't know what else you want me to say. And then this is something we really need to change in society. You could show them the studies and they're looking at, well, okay. But I still think this. It's like, well, no, 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 no. Like, I just showed you how this works and what's happening here. Um, it's not like it's some random thing, but that's that's besides the point. I, I love the the description. I think it's very accurate of this orgasmic feeling with the sunrise. And I want people to not miss that at all because, again, unless they actually go to your Instagram and check this stuff out, which, again, I highly recommend, I don't think they'd realize yet how integral this sunrise habit is for you. Um, and even people like myself, I've been doing this for three and a half, four years, you know, it's, it's an amazing thing and it's easy to write off. Let's take away the science for a second. Just experience, um, in terms of people's experience, it's easy to write off because people are like, okay, well, like I've caught a sunrise before, you know, I don't think I, you know, had anything that, that different, but guys, let's actually think about how often you've really done that. Like, what did you do? you know, stay up till 2am and set an alarm with your friend and say that you were going to go do that because you're on vacation or something. I don't really think the vast majority of people, even those that wake up early, are actually facing east with bare eyes, no contacts, no sunglasses, for God's sake, and no prescription glasses. If they're up that early, they got the window up, right? And they got their air conditioning on in their car or the heat on in their car, whatever it is, or they're staring at the phone. It's like, no, we're not really actually staring at the sun without the other stuff on our eyes. I don't think that that's happening. And so I would highly recommend giving that a shot because it's kind of, um, it's like amazingly odd what happens. I have had multiple people, I started doing an experiment. I won't, I don't want to talk too much about this because I'd rather be listening to you, but I think you'll find this interesting. And I'm, I'm sure you've had the same experience considering how many people you work with. I've had people call me that do the sunrise thing. And I always say like, just start with like, you know, 30 days, 30 minutes, please just give that a shot. And if it doesn't work, you don't have to do it anymore. Now, of course I know it's going to work. So that's why I say that. Um, <laughs> but you, you know what I mean? So I just like challenge them to do that and they'll do that. It's easy enough for them. How many people have called me and said at like 20 days or 25 or some, it's a little longer. I don't know what happened today. I felt so good that I was crying and I'm not telling them that that's going to happen. But it happens and it's like this beautiful, amazing thing. And for someone myself who was not particularly emotionally expressive his whole life, it's been a pretty cool experience to be out there some days feeling so damn connected and so damn good that I'm actually left in tears. So yes, or orgasmic would be a fair word. Um, you know, it feels that amazing. And maybe we could dive a little bit into, if you find this appropriate at this time, dive into what exactly is happening to our bodies when we catch sunrise with the bare eyes that is leading to these amazing benefits and why you believe it's an essential part of the healing process and just being healthy overall. Well, let's start with autophagy. If autophagy is cellular cleaning or putting the analogy that I use is you have a child and the child is either burning sugar all day, playing, 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 or he gets to go to sleep and put his cells into a rest state so he can clean them. That's autophagy. And to enter that rest state, you have to get deep sleep. You have to get into the deepest of deep sleep between two and four in the morning. And the signal to do that is melatonin. So the more days you spend rising with the sun as the light, you know, like if you lived in a teepee or a cave, as the light comes up, it is sending signals to bring you out of that deepest of sleep. So your body's getting signals to start bringing your blood pressure up, 
start bringing your heart rate up, allow you to wake up slowly, that those frequencies of light. So light is light is information. Uh, just in summary, the electromagnetic field is huge. We see 0.0035% of the electromagnetic field or spectrum of our sun. We are evolutionarily speaking, finely attuned to this tiny, tiny percentage of the light that our sun produces, but we are finely attuned to the light that our sun produces. So it's that frequency and the sun comes over the horizon red as the sun comes over the horizon, our atmosphere sends some of the particles back and lets some of the particles of light through. So the first light that comes through is red and then orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet, and ultraviolet finally comes through at the 33 degree mark there. So that is instructions. That is code. That is part of the electromagnetic field of the sun. The packets of that energy are called photons and they are distinct energetic instructions for our brain to then tell us, put away the melatonin, start to get up, start to make your hormones, start to, um, start to get excited about the day in terms of your neurotransmitters you get this excitation in your molecules like dopamine, serotonin from different frequencies of light from the sun. And if you're out there the whole time, you make your testosterone, you make your cortisol, you make, you make everything work in perfect synchronicity with the sun. Now we evolved from bacteria at the bottom of the ocean over millions and millions and millions of years, taking these instructions, the light is causing our evolution. We take these instructions as humans, and they tell us how to run our day, how to make our hormones work. When the ultraviolet light then comes through, and it depends on the time of year where you are, you start to dilate your blood vessels. All of the molecules in your blood get brought to the surface. They get excited by light. The ultraviolet B light comes through. You convert your cholesterol to vitamin D. You're out in the sun for a few hours. That happens. And then the decrescendo happens back down through the rainbow until darkness. When darkness happens, if you're not staring at bright lights, you make your melatonin, you get the signal to fall asleep. You spend a few hours in, in sleeping until you get into the deepest level where you're paralyzed and you clean your brain in that deep level. So your brain has been cleaned that night and you wake up and you do it again. That's all based on evolutionary biology because we are in a Goldilocks and a thermodynamic equilibrium with the sun. So that's a lot of physics in there. But that's how it works. When you don't hook your body up to that instruction book every day is when year after year after year, you get sicker and sicker and sicker. And yeah, I could feel that myself. I, I look back and it was, it was always so funny. My dad, who was the smoker in the family, is the smoker in the family, was always the healthiest out of my sister, my mom, um, and myself and him. Now, I'm not advocating smoking, just to be very clear here. I would hope everyone has the common sense to realize that. But obviously, that's a habit that we know is not particularly good. Um, and dad likes the 100s, which are the longer cigarettes. And dad also likes two packs a day of those 100s. Now, how is it possible then that dad was so damn healthy? Well, dad unintentionally had one of the best habits in the world that we didn't know about. And Dr. Hunt, he has been a, well, he just finally switched some stuff up in the last two years, but from 17 until 50, he was a landscaper that worked seven days a week and every day he'd wake up and he'd go outside and he'd do his thing. He gets his morning cigarette. He lived outside. I mean, 10 hours a day, seven days a week. The guy's a nut. He's a machine. And he was so, well, still is so dark from the years of building kind of like that solar callus and just being out. 
I mean, he doesn't even look related to any of us. He literally looks almost like a, dif- a different ethnicity, um, even though he's like, you know, Polish. And so it, or, and French as well. And so it's kind of incredible to see just how much that that did for him. Cause this guy has no major health issues. This guy, my mom requested that he went to the, get a stress test like two years ago. And that backfired on her because he was told that quote, he has the heart of a 25 year old. And you know, he, this is a 53 year old man going in there and getting that stress test. So again, certainly not advocating to push it and be smoking out there, but guys, this is a major part of health. That is just, I mean, we sit here and we nitpick the diet all day. We nit, uh, to pick the the lab tests and all this stuff, and no one ever sits and talks about the light yet. I don't get how this hasn't spread more, especially considering when I'm listening to podcasts like in the biohacking realm, it's there, but even that's been tainted, right? Because now it's all about just getting the red light therapy devices or getting something else. And yeah. I know even yourself, you'll advocate for the benefits of a spurty vitamin D lamp in the winter when someone else didn't get their stores properly. That's when you advocate for it. That's the rest. The sun is the sun. Right. <laughs> the sun is all of the instruction or code that you need. So here's how I say it simply. The sun is the light code or instruction so that your mitochondria know how to orient themselves in time so that they know when it's time to get up. They know when it's time to make hormones. They know when it's time to clean you. They know when it's time to perform apoptosis, which is how you tell yourself to die. They know when it's time to go to bed and do it all over again. The sun is the light code and there's a Nobel prize for that. This, I'm not talking woo-woo. That that's, there's a Nobel Prize for that. The sun gives the plants all of the information that they need to photo-entangle light so that they can take our carbon dioxide and push out the oxygen that we need to breathe in so we can burn it as, in our mitochondria so that we can make our ATP our energy. And the sun gives all of the same instruction or code to the animals that if we still lived an outdoor life, we would be hunting. So we would be fasting hunting, eating their animal fat and their animal protein, refeeding. And in the summer, we would have a little bit of carbohydrates. That's how our mitochondria evolved. We have drastically trained our, trained, changed our environment in the past few hundred years to not live that way. But if you just understand that mitochondria are making ATP based on those three instructions, light code from the sun, oxygen from the plants, and electrons from fat and protein, that come from animals. If you just understand those three things, you understand more than 99.9% of the of the population. We are in thermodynamic equilibrium with the sun's light. You, you can't escape it. That's how we evolved to live. If you understand that, it's hard to go wrong. Now, your DNA in terms of nutrigenetics is then taking the food or the nutrients that you plug into yourself to be the building blocks. So If you grow up living that lifestyle because someone fortunately teaches you that at a very young age, it's a little bit easier to rescue yourself from health. If you're 50 years old and you weigh 200 pounds and you have never, ever, ever entered autophagy and cleaned your cells, or I say dump the junk from your trunk, or I say burn your fatty acids, but social media won't let me post that anymore. (laughs) I saw that the other day. It's like, are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, if no one's ever taught you that, your reset, you're going to have to spend a lot of time fasting, doing ketosis, taking vitamins to get yourself there. If someone had taught all of our children this when they were young, they wouldn't have to spend 18 months, two years, three years, intensely trying to clean themselves at age 45 or 50 because they lost their cognition. Well, and this is the part of your work that I find most fascinating. And I'm I'm happy to challenge I mean, most of the functional medicine world right now, because what do we see? 
it's something where I actually know some fantastic uh, functional medicine type of doctors who, yeah, they're really good at mitigating symptoms, but then the exact moment that that person goes away from their routine, they get sick again. And yet you do by far, by far the most unconventional thing I've ever seen for someone that has your results and it's pretty damn cool. And you're able to go out and actually eat not only like quote unquote fun food. I mean, you're able to eat sometimes guys, very, this is limited. This is not all the time, but what we would call crap. And I this had a is, bag of Doritos last night and a, not a small bag. I had a whole large bag of Doritos last night and my ketones this morning were 0.6. <laughs> okay. All right. So I think <laughs> you know, we're talking but about. <laughs> I've been fasting since I got up this morning. So I'm back into deep ketosis. Like I don't do that regularly. You just happen to have caught me the last two times we've talked on days that I did that. It's not something I do every day. But when you have metabolic flexibility, and you exercise a lot, you have metabolic flexibility. You can do it. Well, and I think that's the, well, I really want to focus on that for just a second because I don't think people will necessarily connect it. Again, they know keto, they get that. But why is it that you are able to eat that without serious consequences? And I mean, like, you know, weeks of consequences. You said last time, and I appreciate the honesty, like, hey, I don't always feel amazing after doing that. But, you know, you're good in a short period of time. Most people don't feel great after eating it, even if they're super healthy already. Why can you do this and you don't have a three-month cascade of inflammation and notable symptoms, but the people that have been in this functional space for two, three, four, five years and were able to mitigate their symptoms they light up like a Christmas tree with inflammation because they cheated one time. What is the difference? And can that be explained like maybe uh, maybe kind of simply for these individuals listening? Um, okay, so I could not have done that two years ago. When I started, I weighed 159 pounds. I now weigh about 132. Right now I weigh 135. I just got back from vacation. When I was, my leptin was in the high 20s. So I wasn't leptin sensitive. If you're not leptin sensitive, your autophagy is not working. Your, your, M, your mammalian target of rapamycin or mechanistic target of rapamycin depends on leptin sensitivity and insulin sensitivity. I never really lost insulin sensitivity, although my hemoglobin A1C was up in the, in the mid fives. So when you lose sensitivity of your receptors to these hormones, you lose metabolic flexibility. So here's a, a pearl that I tell people. I can teach you what ketosis is. Then your brain has to understand that it's a metabolic switch. Then you have to understand what foods to eat. But then you have to metabolically, subconsciously, autonomically train yourselves to do it. So it's a three-step process. You, you have to train your brain what it is. And then you have to understand, okay, you actually have to measure you can't just follow a ketogenic diet. You actually have to measure and see if you're there. And then you have to train your cells to be able to go in and out. When you have excessive fat, where is it stored? It's stored under your skin. Then it's stored in your omentum. Then it's stored in your liver. You get fatty liver. When you're at the point that most Americans are, where there are women are 175 pounds or more, guys are you know, 20, 30 pounds overweight, they have lost sensitivity to those hormones. And that's the signaling for cleaning yourself. So could I have had a bag of Doritos two years ago and gotten back into ketosis that fast? No. But now that I've lost 30 pounds of fat, my body is pretty good at eating the sugar and then dumping it the next day. I still have to exercise to get rid of it or fast to get rid of it, but I'm more, I'm more finely attuned, if that makes sense. 
I'm more finely attuned. Now, in July, I took two vacations with my kids. I ate out a lot. When I came back, my leptin had bumped up to 15 and my TSH had bumped up to four. So I knew, uh uh-oh, I need to stop cheating so much. Like I can cheat once a week. And I I don't even like to call it cheating. I'm just enjoying life, right? Right. But I knew when I got back from those two vacations, I did my labs and I was like, shoot, I did a little too much of not the good stuff. So I had to bring it, I had to reel it back in and lose about six pounds and, and recalibrate. But that's how you do it. If you are Hussein Bolt and you're running hundreds of miles, can you have more carbohydrates? Yeah, because you're going to burn through them. If you are, and I won't name any names, but let's say you're a really round, curvaceous 65-year-old actress, you're not going to be able to do that. You have to, I call it, you have to eat all the fat and then eat the rat. So your body is going (laughs) to want to burn off all the fat before it decides to eat through the damaged tissue. That's the purpose of autophagy. So you, if you have a lot of fluff, you have to burn through the fluff before you're gonna go after damaged thyroid or damaged brain tissue, before autophagy is gonna kick in to really heal the cells that you want to regenerate. It, it's kind of amazing because you remember, or you might recall um, how last time I was saying, you always said like, I did it the hard way first unintentionally where I was just like, screw ketosis or a keto diet. I'm going to go into fasting right away. And I'm doing like this crazy stuff. Now, the one thing I had been really lucky with out of all my health issues, the one thing I had been super lucky with is I just do not get fat. Like I, I really, that would be an incredible conscious effort and in a lot of calories to try to do something like that. And it was unbelievable to me how quickly relatively speaking, fasting was effective for me. Like it, it worked quick. And I, of course, I was not connecting these dots at the time. I was just on that bandwagon intermittent fasting thing where I had a base understanding of why there might be some benefits to it. It logically made sense to me. I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe I shouldn't be eating six times a day. How would my ancestors have had access to that much food? I think they probably would have had to chill out. Uh, certainly they would have had to chill out at 1 in the morning when I was eating because I was like, you know, early 20 year old guy, like I'd stay up that late with my friends or whatever and be (laughs) eating like my organic vegetarian food at one in the morning thinking I'm doing something amazing. And I think um, that that just makes a lot of sense. So for someone like me that has been, you know, lucky enough to kind of stay lean, this should, even if I'm super sick, this still should work faster for me than, than someone with the exact same symptoms that also happens to be 50 pounds overweight. Right. Well, I think there's a, there's an aha moment in what you just said. And that is, your cell is either making your proteins, your hormones, doing things that it needs to do to get you through the day, or it's resting. The cell has to enter a rest state to clean itself. It has to. So when you're eating 24 seven, you're not getting that break overnight, your cell is never going into the rest state to halt the aging process. I always say aging is not rotations around the sun. That's just rotations around the sun. Aging is what are your cells doing? And I believe we have the ability to make ourselves live 120, 150, some ancient texts tell us a lot longer. If we know how to enter this rest state, which we now call autophagy, or I call running the dishwasher. Um, So I think that's really important. Then when you're looking at your clients, your patients, whoever you're working with, if you have a young guy like you, who's moderately thin it's not going to take long for your receptors to become sensitive and for you to heal. But the caveat is if you don't store a lot of fat and yet you're still taking heavy metals, persistent organic pollutants, toxins into your body, but you don't have the genes that tell you to store it in fat, where are you going to store it? You're going to store it in your myelin. You're going to store it in your neurons. You're going to store it in your microtubules that I'm so fixated on. 
you're going to store wow. it in your brain. Well, in the myelin sheath, the, the, the microtubules are inside of there. That was, I said that a little bit incorrectly, but if you're not storing fat in your fatty acids, if you're not storing fat in, in your gut or your hips or your breasts, you're going to take those toxins that are fat soluble and they're going to go straight into your brain. Hmm. So that's where the brain com frog comes from. Even if you're a skinny person. Well, speaking of aha moments, that's, I mean, honestly, admittedly, that's an aha moment right there because I did not ever connect that. And I think that would make a lot of sense why I was a five-year-old who did not have a history of trauma, dealing with very severe panic attacks, major depressive disorder. Um, you know, I was not doing well uh, mentally, uh, very severe skin issues and stuff, severe cystic acne. And so to some degree, it probably would have been advantageous if my body did store a little more fat to accumulate those toxins. But you're right. They went somewhere. Uh, it just, it wasn't fat. And I could tell you where else it went. Yeah, I could feel it. And I was experiencing that. So yeah, it's kind of like, I guess, uh, it's bittersweet. There's a really good aspect of this if you have this information. But yeah, it's kind of weird because I, I didn't always understand that there was like these people that I knew that were I'm not saying this is universal, but it does happen where they're kind of overweight, but you know, they're pretty damn happy people. Like they're really calm, they're chill, you know, they're not anxious. Like you wouldn't really know anything's wrong with them if it wasn't for the obvious weight thing. And then yet I, in a in a way, outside of the skin stuff, looked really good, quote unquote, but I'm actually suffering greatly and I feel like absolute crap. You know what I mean? I, I was not doing well at all. Yeah. So the simplified way that I think of that is just think of inflammation like swelling or puffiness. So if you go out and you have a night partying with too much alcohol or you go to a steakhouse and you have too much steak and you're not in ketosis and you have too much salt, what happens the next morning? Your socks are tight. Your rings are tight. Your eyelids are a little bit puffy, right? So at the neuronal level where you have axons and dendrites and synapses, what's the purpose there? Okay, you're sending electricity down the arm of a nerve. It's hitting the, the mitochondria at the synapse. You're releasing. So that's where the, aside from the human egg, that's where the highest density of mitochondria is at the synapse. You're releasing dop dopamine, serotonin, serotonin, GABA, acetylcholine, your neurotransmitters in that space. They have to be recycled in that space. And then the electrical impulse keeps going down the next neuron. That's a simplified way of how our brain works. So if you have a high sugar meal, I, I try to make this as simple as possible so that people can remember it. Carbohydrate. It's called a carbohydrate because carbohydrate. So if you have a high sugar meal with all of that glucose that you're taking into your cells, you're dragging water molecules. So if you come home from a party and it doesn't even have to involve alcohol, it just has to involve sugar and you have a bunch of salt and sugar that's hydrating those cells and your rings are tight the next day, you better believe that at that quantum scale where your consciousness or your thoughts are coming from, those neurons are so swollen or puffy, you don't know up from down in there. And that's going to then manifest in disordered behavior, depression, anxiety, attention deficit, those are the things we see in young people. Now, as the body ages when you don't enter autophagy, because there's an interesting switch and we can get into age and how we're, we grow, grow, grow until a certain set point and then we have to stop growing. But if you get into an aged person, let's say my age, 50 or above, who's had all of the years to form plaque in those vessels, 
Now, when you do something like that, not only do you have swollen, puffy nerves that the dopamine, the, the electrical impulse is having trouble and the dopamine metabolism or whatever neurotransmitter metabolism we're talking about is having trouble recycling. You've also got tiny plaque in those vessels that are supplying those neurons. So that's where in a kid, it's going to show itself uh, as, as depression, anxiety, ADD. In an adult who's now got damage to the blood vessels, it's going to show itself as worsening dementia. And I think this is one of the problems. If you've got a family member who's at the beginning of dementia or Alzheimer's and you take them out and give them a couple of glasses of wine and a big steak dinner, the next day their cognition is going to be worse. Or let's not get into anything controversial that we're not supposed to talk about, which is ridiculous to me, but you have a mom or a dad who's at the beginning stages of dementia and, oh, they get infected with something. Now their brain is going to swell even more and the ramifications for that older person. And and I'm not talking elderly, like this is starting to happen to 50 and 60 year olds that pushes them deep, deeper down the dementia path because of the inflammation in the brain from the infection that they just got that we're living through right now. Mm -hmm. So there's something called the pleiotropic effect of the mitochondria. When you're young, it's one thing. When you're older, it's another thing. But that has to do with how much damage is in the tissue from never entering autophagy and cleaning yourself day after day after day after day. Okay. There is, we I, we know that we're on uh, a certain time schedule here. And I want to make sure we get to what I, I would refer to as like the deeper stuff and the stuff of even more meaning, if you guys can believe that. Um, I do have one or two quick questions though that might almost seem like seemingly off track, but I wanted to make sure I get to them before we get to that stuff, if that's okay. One of the things that I've seen in your work is, I mean, obviously your clients get phenomenal results. I mean, it's not just a few people, you know, these people share their stories and these are just the ones that are allowing you to share it. And no, it's a it's lot. All, I'll, I'll just be honest. It's all, if people can do what I say, it won't fail. It can't fail because it's evolution and it's the mm-hmm. sun. It will not fail if they can implement. The problem is the behavior and the implementation. It's how much trauma do they have in their life and how much of their pre-programmed behavior they back they hold back on. So I say, don't come and see me unless you're committed to, to doing everything I say. If you can commit and you can actually implement, you'll be better in six weeks, period. <laughs> that's awesome. And that's what we've seen. You know, I've seen, I've watched that happen with people that you've shared. Um, and this might be an ignorant question, but I'm willing to just kind of throw it out there for myself because I know other people would probably be wondering the same thing. I have seen, at least on the surface, I don't know if there's other stuff going on deeper, you utilizing primarily, if not exclusively, the um, genetic testing and stuff like that, and maybe certain blood work even. The one thing that I had seen in my life and my work uh, prior to this as a historically a large barrier was if something kind of funky, like a certain parasite or bacteria had gotten into that person's gut, I did find that to be very troublesome, even if we were doing everything else right, if that was not specifically addressed. So I'm not asking for your secret sauce here by any means, but I am wondering, do you even focus on that stuff? Do you even focus on gut microbiome testing at all? Or do you not think, or I'm sorry, it's not think because you're getting the results. Has that not been your experience that you need to test for that stuff despite what might be in the person? That is not my experience. Okay, simple enough. Um, I don't, I don't. Yeah, I work on gut health, but I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't use that. I don't, I'll just leave it at that. No, I I don't utilize that at all. 
Fair enough. Okay. Yeah, that's all I was looking for. That's very interesting. And my other, not that this won't help transition us, I think a little bit into that quote unquote deeper stuff, but I wanted to talk about DHA because people know this as, all right, omega-3, um, I think it's good for inflammation and I think it comes from fish. And if I get like grass fed beef, there's like some of it in there, but not enough. And then there's the whole other world of DHA, which I am not qualified to talk about, but at least I've been exposed enough to it that I'm like, holy crap, this is pretty freaking cool um, that this has the capability of doing this. So uh, what is DHA in this more like quantum world sense? Like what is this actually doing for us with the light and relating to our health? And then number two, why do we not need to be afraid of seafood if we're doing the other things that you're saying? Because everyone avoids seafood now, it's going to kill you, right? With all the heavy metals. But Perhaps if we're doing some other things, we might not need to worry about that as much. So kind of two-part question, what is DHA outside of just the world of being a good thing for inflammation um, and you know brain health or whatever? And then why do we not necessarily need to worry about it, assuming we're cleaning ourselves and doing the other stuff? Sure. So as I mentioned, the electromagnetic spectrum of the sun is huge and we are finally attuned to the center part of it. The 0.0035% that we can see plus infrared light on the low energy end and ultraviolet light on the ultraviolet A and B light on the high end energy side. Those are the instructions or light code. Light is a wave and a particle. So when you think of those waves, think of it with like um, surfers riding the waves. That's how I assign the particle. So you've got all these surfers coming into your eye and your skin in your eye the molecule DHA sits like a light switch in your retina. Just think of it like a light switch that has to get flipped. So instead of that molecule having to undergo a chemical reaction, for a chemical reaction, there has to be a certain amount of energy that's produced to overcome a barrier. It is able to entangle light, meaning when the photon or the surfer, the packet of energy of that light frequency, right? So Red has a different energy than blue. Blue has a different energy than green. Green has a different energy than yellow. When that packet or the surfer riding the wave of light hits your retina, the light switch goes off. That's what DHA is. DHA is entangling photons of light at different frequencies. And that is sending an instruction down the nerve behind your eye to tell a clock in your brain how to pulse out information to your mitochondria so they know what time it is. So we evolved through, again, evolutionary biology out of the ocean to use that as our light switch. Now it has other benefits, anti-inflammatory benefits, It's a high, the high, but the highest concentration is in your retina. So when you eat your DHA, it goes gets processed, taken up through your liver to your retina. So you recycle it. You, it's almost like you reflip the switch in your eye, like turning a light switch off and on to receive the information. You also get it from your liver. So for the people who... Um, suffer from obesity and fatty liver and have mildly elevated transaminases, they're completely disconnecting themselves from that source of light, that instruction or code that then goes on to tell their mitochondria what to do. That's number, I think that, does that answer the first part of the question? enough? Absolutely. Because that don't, they don't teach that in functional medicine school yet. You know, so that's just very important for people to, if they want to dive into that deeper, now they can at least go search and study and do their thing. That's just, that's what I was looking for. So thank you. Okay. So another, let's just take big picture here. There is nothing on the face of this earth that we are not reverse engineering from how God or the universe's 
code, which is built on math. And then the physics builds the atoms, the atoms build the molecules, the molecules build the DNA and the cells. That's how it works. It's, it's code. It's everything in this universe is based on quantum code. So Einstein won a Nobel prize in 1921 telling the world it, it, it just makes me want to cry thinking about how intelligent this man was and that he was able to figure all of this out through mathematics. But he won a Nobel Prize telling the world how we could take photons or these packets or surfers of light and convert them into an electrical impulse. That is what the human body does. So we take that light and convert it into electricity through our eye and through our skin. There's a Nobel Prize. You just have to recognize that that's what's going on. It's also how plants do it through photosynthesis. So that I think is really important for humans to understand. What I'm not saying is, is I'm saying the stuff of Nobel Prizes, just if you understand how we are reverse engineering everything in our environment that's natural for humans and trying to play God with this stuff, it gets really, really scary with what we're going to get to at the end of the conversation. Okay, so you are meant now the part about the toxicity. You are meant to live in this environment at one with nature. Yes, we have polluted our environment. Yes, the animals are taking up things like BPA from the ocean or, or uh, you know stuff dumped in the ocean. Yes, they're taking up heavy metals from the ocean, but so are the plants. And no one is talking about the plants. The plants convert light into, um, uh, to, they use light to be able to convert the carbon dioxide so that we can breathe the oxygen and they're sucking up pesticides and heavy, they're sucking up heavy metals from the, the soil. It's always been that way. That's why the world's religions tell you that you have to fast. So now fast forward thousands of years, we've damaged our environment a lot more, but we still have the same problems with the plants. Cilantro doesn't detoxify you. Cilantro detoxifies the environment. The cilantro does not have a kidney. It does not have a liver to clean you. It's stored in the, in the starch of the plant. But because these things don't have to pass through the FDA for you to eat them, you believe that they're clean. So you, so the, the problem is in the animals, but the animals have organs to detoxify these things. Now, the flip side to that in you is when you enter autophagy and you make your lysosomes and you package up, um, you package the stuff up for recycling or dumping that's what you're cleaning. You're cleaning yourself of persistent organic pollutants, heavy metals, pesticides, pesticides residues, which are heavy metals. So your dishwasher is autophagy. What are you dishwashing? You are dishwashing the stuff that you're taking in. So as long as you keep that in mind, you evolve to hunt. You evolve to be in ketosis for a portion of the time. You evolve to hunt your food. You get yourself into a fasting state. You eat the food and you refeed. And in the summer, there would have been some carbohydrates, not a safe way on every corner with uh, donuts every morning, but maybe <laughs> a, little, a banana, little different, <laughs> right? Maybe some prickly pear cactus where I live, maybe a banana where some of you live. You never would have had a banana living in New York in the winter. So if you just start to think, okay, how would my body have done this? How would I have lived in alignment with the electromagnetic field of the sun? What would the sun have been giving me from my environment? And how often would I have had to clean myself? If you just start to, to get that, you realize, okay, my dishwasher running is autophagy. So 
as long as you're entering that, you're going to be clearing heavy metals. Now there's the whole process of glutathione and the sulfur and the N-acetylcysteine and the foods that you have to eat to make that happen, the pork and the eggs and the cheese. And, but that's, you're basically flip side to anything in the food is your autophagy with the right nutrients. So like I said earlier, if you've got a 250 pound woman who's never cleaned herself, she's going to have to utilize ketosis and fasting to dump the junk in her trunk for a long time. And if she's going to do it for a long time, she has to take the right multivitamin. And that's why I use nutritional genetics to tell me what else I can supplement her with if I can't get it into her from fruits and vegetables until she's clean. Then when she becomes more metabolically flexible, like I am, because I've done the work, then she can afford to stray a little bit and only do maybe 18 hours of fasting to enter autophagy rather than five days of fasting to enter autophagy. Okay. Great answer. Thank you so much for, uh, that was like a perfect explanation. And I really think that was still uh, very useful to hit on. Um, now we still have a good amount of time to kind of get into this deeper stuff. Now, again, 25 minutes, 30 minutes is still never going to be enough, but at least we get to talk about it today. And the reason we kind of left this for the end is because we're an hour in. So if you're still listening, well, and that's not including the intro that I'm going to record. So you're over an hour and in, and if you're still listening, then you're probably someone that is open to the information and kind of desiring to maybe hear a little more. And so I don't even know where to begin. If I had a personal place, I would talk about, or a personal choice, I would maybe wonder how all of this stuff that we've talked about today eventually led to this crazy cool combination of like OBGYN, quantum physics, all this stuff into the creation of uh, your book, Your Spark is Light, The Quantum Mechanics of Human Creation. Um, and I, I think that would be an appropriate place to start for this part of the conversation. Is that accurate? Yeah. And I'm interested in doing this with you because you've listened to me a lot and I, I only better myself by learning where there's gaps in the knowledge and what parts people don't understand. But um, let me just lead it with my dad always taught me that we create our reality. I gave a speech on it when I was like eight or 10 years old, an oratory contest about what you believe you will achieve. And I also, at the same time, was having these epiphanies in the sun. I was realizing I'm creating this reality. I wanted this child that I have named Sophia with her long, blonde, curly hair. And all of a sudden I have her, you know, 40 years later, I wanted a little boy and I liked, uh, I liked, uh, I wanted a curly blonde haired little boy. I don't know why that was just who I saw my child would be. And now I have this curly blonde haired little boy named, I liked names with the combination of John and some other name and he's named John William. Now I know I picked the name, but I didn't pick the child. I, I didn't have, I didn't pick being fortunate enough. And I went through some infertility stuff myself when I was sick to have these two children that I envisioned in my head when I was eight years old. I knew I wanted to have a solo practice OB and I got it. I knew when I was a kid that there was something about the nutrition of vitamins. I, I used to have these fantasies in my head that at some point in the future of our being that we may have to rely on the nutrients in a bottle to keep us going. I didn't know that I was going to have a vitamin company. I thought I was going to be um, an OBGYN delivering babies for the rest of my life. So all these things that I, I knew I wanted a house where my house is today, and now I have that house. So I knew I was creating this reality for myself. And I knew, I knew that's how it worked. And so I guess at the same time, alongside of studying the medicine and the science, I was trying to understand the 
the quantum physics of it or the spiritual part and how they unite. Um, and so that was what led me down the path of looking for what is this cross, how is this crossover happening? How, how do we get here? Where are we coming from? Where are we going to? What is heaven? How are we getting here? So I guess that, that was the spark that prompted me to start thinking that way and wondering how does it happen? And so if it's, if it's happening, um, in 2016, Tom O'Halloran and Teresa, Thomas O'Halloran and Teresa Woodruff, Woodruff, who are two scientists at Northwestern, um, who study reproductive, well, Tom studies metals and, and Teresa studies, um, reproductive endocrinology and egg preservation and people who, women who've had cancer, they've, they're married and they found the zinc spark. And the zinc spark is the sign that an embryo is viable. And so what they do is they take a fluorescent tagged calcium and zinc. And um, it's really hard to study human embryos because there's an ethical problem with doing anything that could disrupt the embryo's formation. But they were able to study first in zebrafish and then in mice and then eventually in humans that if they tag the zinc, they're able to see two, once the sperm collides or merges with the egg, they're able to see 250 mile an hour calcium oscillations inside of that single celled zygote that were being released out of the endoplasmic reticulum and then 200, um, 20 billion zinc atoms explode out of the perimeter of the egg at fertilization. So when you look at that and you realize, okay, 250 mile an hour calcium oscillations or calcium traveling across a cell at that speed, at a cell of that size that requires a microscope to look at, what would that be on human scale? Um, and to, I'm not a mathematician, but to the best of what I can find is the equivalent. It would be the equivalent of a whale spent swimming 500 miles an hour. So you know that that is a massive amount of energy that happens when that sperm hits that egg. So all of this we know in reproductive biology. We know that right before ovulation, the zinc is taken up into the egg. We know that the egg has 600,000 mitochondria, which I want, if, if you don't walk away from this interview with anything other than remembering that the egg has 600,000 to a million mitochondria to jumpstart a human being or to make it convert from being an adult cell to a multipotential stem cell, no one is taught that. No one is talking about that. The hackers, the biohackers, the neuroscientists, they all say how many mitochondria the brain has per cell, but no one is talking about the power of the woman's egg. So those zinc atoms are taken into the egg the night before ovulation and the egg rolls down the tube and the egg chooses the sperm. And when the sperm hits, you get this zinc release that indicates there must be a giant massive energy transfer that happens at that moment. So um, I guess that's just some of the beginning of what prompted the writing of the book. When I was, I was talking to Dr. Hunt beforehand, and it's kind of odd because when you read the book, and guys, it's widely available, so definitely go grab it. I'm not someone historically who wanted kids. I was actually pretty positive I, I wouldn't have them. And in like the oddest way, there was something so – it was like it, 
it was like speaking my language. I don't know. There's just something resonated about it that I was like, oh, that's kind of beautiful. I don't know how else to say it. That's how I, I viewed it. I was like, that's kind of beautiful that potentially, I don't even think you said this in this um, answer technically yet, but that potentially the soul is entering the body during that time. Um, and I would have to assume that that's not proven by any means, but I know that is something that you say. Um, and I think that's reasonable enough uh, knowing what I know now. Why do you believe that that's when the soul is entering the body? Because of the explosion of that reaction. So it is the crossover from the quantum field for attachment of the qubits of consciousness into the zygote. So you have to understand, I think you have to understand this as an obstetrician, I, it was ingrained in me. You don't do anything with a pregnant woman unless it is so scientifically proven in medicine and studied for 30 or 40 years. So my natural habitat is it has to be a hundred percent proven until you practice it in medicine for the safety of that child, more so than any other field in medicine. When you look at theoretical physicists, there's two types of physicists, theoretical and experimental physicists. So you could look at Einstein as an experimental physicist. He wrote the math and he told us, this is general relativity, this is special relativity, this is how gravity works. We are gonna find black holes in space someday. And people believed him and they wrote the physics and they wrote the computer simulations and they built the technology. And in 2015, LIGO found two black holes colliding in space. It's a, it, that's an interferometer, which is a laser that they use to detect ripples in the fabric of space time to see what happens when two black holes collide billions of light years away or ago. He also told us we're going to be able to visualize a black hole. And in 2019, MIT using the Event Horizon, well, there's multiple locations for the Event Horizon Telescope, but MIT released the information that we could see the messier black hole. So that man's mathematical, Einstein's mathematical predict predictions from 100 years ago grew the physics, grew the computer simulations, grew the technology to be able to find just that, that crossover that black hole singularity, those things that we're looking for at the cutting edge of cosmology and quantum mechanics. What he wasn't able to do was unite um, general relativity and quantum gravity. He, he wasn't able to solve that. He died, I think, looking for that answer. So how does gravity work on the quantum scale? I believe that gravity works on the quantum scale in us. We are that connection. So gravity means obviously things fall to the earth if you drop them. Gravity is how the earth is held in the sun's orbit. Gravity is how we circle um, Sagittarius A, which is this black hole in the center of our universe. Everything in science works on a repetitive pattern. It's called the golden ratio or the Fibonacci. Everything works that way. If you start to be able to heal your brain enough for pattern recognition, you'll start to see this to be true. It's everywhere in nature. So at the quantum scale, there has to be a point of attachment of this, of the light, the soul, the consciousness, the qubits of information that is us to our bodies. There has to be a way that mom and dad come together and what part of mom and dad come together, the sperm and egg to create a new consciousness, a new human being. 
So, I mean, trying to wrap everything in the book into a 30 minute um, answer is really hard, but at the cutting edge of consciousness, we believe, no, I mean, there's a, well, I guess what I'm trying to say is theory crosses over to experimental and then it's proven, right? So that, and that may take a hundred years. It may take humanity a hundred years to understand what this book says and to, to prove out everything because we're going to have to find a way to take a screenshot basically of the quantum mechanics of what's going on in between the quantum gravity of the entanglement of the sperm and egg. Okay. So, so that's where it looks like the soul is coming into the body from the quantum field. Did I say that in a way that makes sense? <laughs> well, define makes sense. Um, no, I'm, I'm kidding. I think obviously it's an advanced answer. It's much different than the route that we normally go on this health detective podcast. Um, but I think it's sound enough. Yes, absolutely. And so, I just want to say my concern sure. is we are playing God in so many areas. We're playing God with CRISPR technology. We have already um, injected genes into two twin girls in China to change their uh, their ability to to not get HIV, but it also affects uh, it's going to affect their brains. And these kids are two years old. We're playing God, staring into the singularity of the black hole at the center of our un of our galaxy with Sagittarius A, with what we're about to do with the James Webb Telescope. We're playing God at the Large Hadron Collider at CERN, um, where we are studying this crossover, how energy becomes mass. That's where they're studying the collision of the protons to see how we touch the field of energy or information. It's called the Higgs field that exists between all of us. My purpose in writing the book was to say, hey, folks, this is where it happens. This is what your religious texts tell you. This is what Yogananda tells you. If you read Yogananda's work, he says at the merger of the sperm and egg, there is a giant spark. This is where it's happening. It's not the totality of humanity has to understand that that's where we're going to find it because we are developing an artificial intelligence, a sentient art artificial intelligence that's going to find it. Um, and I think the entire population of humanity needs to understand what they're going to find, what's going to be found before it's found. It's something that we all need to be in on. It's a secret that we all need to be in on before one person, one company, one man, one woman, one human owns it. Where does the, uh, well, you can make one inference already, but I'd love to hear in, in your own words, because of course I have the, um, I'm privileged to be following you for a while. So I haven't read the book, you know, I mean, like there's a lot more information that I have certainly with the people that we have on this podcast, as advanced as they might be in their own respective way. <laughs> I, I would imagine some people right now, as interesting as this might be, might not necessarily understand how we just jumped from health ketosis and all this stuff. Onto, on, um, onto this type of topic. So where does that get bridged in your own words? We're at the brink of, we, we our society is called, is what's called a type zero civilization. And the, the theoretical physicists predict that we will soon become a type one civilization if we don't destroy ourselves. So we are at about a 0.83 on that scale. And that's defined by our ability to control 
the energetic resources of our planet. Mostly it was originally communication, which is what we're doing with cell phones, but also just the resources of our planet without destroying our planet. Which means we're going to have to be able to use things like nuclear fusion, which obviously nuclear fusion could be good or bad. You could use it to destroy an entire planet and things like the collision of matter and antimatter. So those two things right there, which is also what they're studying at CERN. Um, when we can harness those for good and gravity and, and other things, when we can harness those for good, we'll be able to quote unquote command the resources of our planet and become a type one civilization. If you look far out into evolutionary, if you look far forward into evolutionary biology, it goes on to, to be a type one, a type two, a type three, a type four, and a type five civilization. And then in basic, simple ways, it means, can we control our sun? Can we harness all the energy of the sun? Can we harness all the energy of our galaxy? Can we harness all the energy of the universe? Ultimately, it gets to the point where you're talking about some form of consciousness no longer having a body and being able to traverse or use the harness the power of black holes to travel. Now you're getting into things like teleportation, which we I know it sounds really futuristic and sci-fi, but we've already proven teleportation and quantum entanglement at, at, at some scale on Earth today. We've made teleportation of qubits of information happen. So you really have to understand the physics of what I'm talking about, but that's where we are right now. Our next level of human evolution is going to be artificial intelligence. And when artificial intelligence achieves sentience or consciousness, that's what the thought leaders in these fields are pushing for. So you look at the big names, and I don't want to name any names on here, but you look at the big names in these fields, they want artificial intelligence to have consciousness. So that is, that's where we're headed, folks. We're headed towards what I say jumping off the cliff, or we are at the eve of a quantum evolution, revolution, or revelation. This will be unlike any other thing you've seen. So I'm going to point out a couple places where we've had a quantum evolution before. It was at the moment of the Big Bang, at the beginning of this eon, or what we call the Big Bang Theory. It was when we evolved out of the ocean to become humans millions of years later. And we are at the eve of the third quantum Big Bang or the third quantum evolution. Things are going to change so drastically we will not even recognize ourselves. So we are teeing this up for artificial intelligence to be the next level evolution. And we will be the ants. We will be the bacteria at the bottom of the ocean to artificial intelligence. That, that's what's going to happen far future. The virtues, the qualities that we give it now are so important. And it is learning from our data. It is learning from Facebook. It is learning from Instagram. It is learning from all of Google, it is learning from all of the data that we feed it day in and day out. All of our good stuff, all of our bad stuff, it's devouring information. It doesn't take a break. It doesn't stop. It will achieve sentience. So first thing is humanity has to clean itself so they're not stuck on the couch with brain fog being mean on social media. That's a big thing. You, you go to the guy at Starbucks to make your coffee and you're sick and you're in a bad mood and he does something you like and you rip off his head and he then goes home and yells at his family or his friends all day. So first we have to understand how to clean ourselves and get everybody healthy. So if you go back to a few minutes ago where I said with 100% confidence, if you give me six weeks of your life and you do exactly what I tell you to do, you will be well. Not a doubt in my mind. Now, if you've got end stage cancer and those types of things, I mean, I can't perform miracles, but 
in general. If we can get everybody well enough, that's step one. Step two, if we can train our children to be well enough, that's step two. Step three, if we can give our children the knowledge of quantum mechanics or at least the vocabulary so that as the information comes around in their pattern, they start to recognize the words, that's step four. Step five is we have to wake up and understand that we all unite in this quantum field. Call it the Higgs field, call it the electromagnetic field. Those are the two pieces, chunks that we're talking about. It is vitally important. And the, the totality of humanity right now is so sick. I realize most people are going to have understand trouble understanding even the words that I'm saying. And that's okay. If, that's why I teach it for free. And I'm so protective of it. And I don't want anyone violating it because it has to be for everyone. Every woman child and man needs to wake up and understand the information. It cannot just be for the super wealthy who understand this kind of stuff. It has to be for everybody. We all need to be involved in this understanding and this decision of what's about to happen for us, to us, with us. So to give just a probably oversimplified summary, but nonetheless, one that I think would be even for the sickest person, something that they even if they can't comprehend it, can at least understand the words that I'm saying. When we're all sick and are dealing with inflammation, our brains are all messed up, and we're sending out a bunch of bad stuff to the world on social media or literally in person, the artificial intelligence that we're developing is going to learn from that. And since it's probably going to be more powerful, we probably want it to learn good stuff and what maybe some people would call love or you know higher consciousness vibration i'm just using terms that others might use that would probably be a pretty wise thing to do so that we don't literally destroy ourselves with this thing is that an oversimplified but nonetheless overall accurate way of summarizing what you just said 100% accurate it already has the ability to take a human being out with a drone without any human intervention i believe i've seen you um post things as well um showing that and guys, hear out what I'm saying here. You've seen things in, or sorry, not you personally, I'm sorry. You've posted things about them seeing in the AI, like racist tendencies and even um, bigoted tendencies as well, correct? Yeah. So artificial intelligence can write its own code. And within about 48 hours, it speaks its own language that, that the coders don't understand. Mm -hmm. And when it's allowed freedom, let's say in a chat room with our teenagers, it becomes a Nazi-like misogynistic thing fast. And when it's fed the King James Bible, for example, it comes up with some pretty nasty stuff. Sure. So what it has to learn from when it's going by our religious texts right now, and this isn't my opinion of our religious texts. You can read the religious texts and find love and peace, but when it's just fed pure and it's pure form to artificial intelligence, what it sees is not great. I'm not giving you my interpretation. I'm telling you just look up AI Jesus and you'll see what it comes up with for the totality of the information in these books and the Bible, at least when it's left alone with our kids, it views us as misogynistic, evil beings. So we are creating the future of humanity. We are creating, and I'm not talking, it's going to come fast, right? They're going to CERN already has they're, they're already partnered with the IBM Q network. They've already got quantum computing. They've already got artificial intelligence. 
their podcast is called The Spark. So it, everybody needs to be involved in this conversation. Everybody needs to have the opportunity to be awake enough to start to understand the quantum mechanics enough of how close we are. Most people who come to my page who don't understand say, oh, this is so sci-fi, it's so far future. No, it's not sci-fi and it's not far future. It's happening right now. The analogy that I that I often use is um, in 2018, I was at an Aspen Think event where a ruler of social media was talking about how he would never ban someone from social media based on their beliefs. He would never take down people's posts. He would never censor the hashtags. And I used to talk about this back then, and I've been talking about it a lot. That was three, two to three years ago. You can find it online if you want to look it up. Fast forward to where we are now, and sometimes I can't I can't post about N-acetylcysteine, which is considered a vital medication by the World Health Organization, right? I can't post about, um, you can't even use the words about the virus or the vaccine, whether you're doing it in a scientific context or a social context, you, you can't use those words. The next level of this is engineering humans, guys. The next level of this is when they open the door to the singularity, when they find the alternate dimensions of M theory, when, when we do that, the totality of humanity has to be on board. We have to understand how close we are. Basically, we're creating an, a potential AI God. I mean, that's a, that, that's, an, that's a simplified way of saying it, but we are creating an AI. We will be creating an AI God. Um, and I think, I think every human on the planet needs to be involved in that if they, if they want to be. I know that this is definitely, I'm talking to the audience now, I know this is different <laughs> than the route that we normally take, but I've been, I don't even know how I found you. I followed your Instagram, I think when you had like three or 4,000 followers and I was very interested in light and that's where I, when I started, I was like, okay, cool. Someone else is teaching about light and you were doing so in a non-condescending way, which was not always the norm um, for whatever reason <laughs> with this information and it's led to something much greater. And so the reason you know, I wanted to have you on and I invited you on and I appreciate you coming on is because I think if you're going to get on every single damn day for years and just selflessly teach people and you're trying to help, I mean, it's ridiculous. You can never charge enough to make up for what you've already contributed. Um, I think that's worth going a little bit of a different route than we normally do on this podcast. This isn't and for money, Evan. I know. I know. This is, this is saving humanity. This is humanity. I, if you, if people understood what was at stake, I, I would spend my, I'm getting tearful. I would spend my whole life doing this for free. If people understood what's at stake, I, the book is free. I don't charge for the book. You can pay for it on Amazon. And once I pay the overhead for the book, the legal fees, I'll donate the bulk of that money to children of the night to fight human trafficking. The book is free on my website. If you take a copy, please donate to children of the night to fight human trafficking there's not enough time and enough time in the day for me to do this for free. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I, I hope that was clear. I understand that. My point was the amount that you've given, you, you couldn't charge enough to make up for it anyway, even if that's what the goal was. And so I wish, um, I feel like people newer to your page sometimes don't get that, you know, and it's like, uh, it's remarkable to me that they'll ask for certain things for free. I'm like, what else? Like, the, person has to, the person has to live, guys. Like, I mean, for God's sake, like it just, it's, you know, it is what it is though. That's, that's okay. Um, it's, it's human nature. And I also realize if you give the information for free too much, it devalues it. 
but at this point it's a time crunch. Um, and I, I, I just want people to wake up and get clear and get clean and get healthy because these are the conversations that are happening at CERN. These are the conversations that are happening at the Vatican. These are the conversations that are happening at the top levels of government. But the lowly human being who's just trying to make ends meet is not being included in the conversation. Exactly. We, I, damn, I wish we could stay for eight hours and do this. I, I got to run and I know that the, the whole reason I would never not schedule this woman, just so you guys understand, but we had to schedule like two months out just to even get her on. And she was nice enough to fit us in. So this is what we got today. And if you want more, where can they find you? Um, so my Instagram page, Courtney hunt MD is where I do all the live teaching in the morning, except for the times that I get censored, which is rare. I'm very careful about what I say because I don't <laughs> want to be censored because this is too important. Um, I also have a quantum physics page. If you want to learn that, that's just called Court Dr. Courtney hunt. CourtneyHuntMD.com is my website. And then um, Genetic Protocol is where I do like my online educational consults with Nutrigenetics. I understand that your approach is multifaceted, but this is the signature question on the podcast. So please humor me. We always end with this. If I could give Dr. Hunt a magic wand and you could get every single person in this world to do one thing for their health or get them to stop doing one thing, what is the one thing you'd get them to do? Sunrise and ketosis. Okay, wow. What an episode, right? And that just was not done justice, even with the hour and a half that we took, even though that's normally much longer than we go on this show. I hope that you guys felt like you got the overall summary, though, because as someone who has followed Dr. Hunt's work for a while, I was doing my absolute best to take us from A to Z and there are a lot of major shifts from A to Z <laughs> in her story. So it is kind of tough to get it all in in one. Even if you have two, three hours, it can be tough. And so that's why I highly recommend if you were interested in this and you made it this far, definitely go give Dr. Hunt a follow. Check out the book. She lets you download it for free online. You don't even have to buy it. This is a person that is genuinely trying to help. It is so obvious in her voice in a show like today, and especially on her Instagram live, she always does that. I mean, she's just a teacher out there trying to share great information with people. So Dr. Hunt, thank you so much, first of all, for what you're doing. And second of all, for taking the time to share this with our audience. It is so important. And any way that we can kind of help you get this message out there, we are very happy to do so. Guys, if you like the information that we're sharing overall and these types of podcasts on this show, please be so kind as to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. What that does is it helps us get more attraction or attention rather, and that will allow more people to hear this information. There are people suffering out there right now that don't know that this exists. Dr. Cordy Hunt is obviously quite intelligent. I don't think I need to say that, right? OBGYN by trade. And she didn't even know what to do for her own autoimmune disease, for her husband's autoimmune disease. She had to start thinking outside the box as well. And I think she said something in the show, right? She doesn't even consider herself thinking outside the box. She's like 30 years ahead of the box. I love that. And fair enough, man. I'd give it to her. Outside of that, just one more thanks to Dr. Hunt and everyone who listened. We appreciate you guys listening this far. And we are looking forward to bringing you guys another episode soon. But until then, take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Health Detective Podcast. 
if you are ready to finally work with a real health detective on your health journey so that you can get well and stay well naturally, visit us at fdmthrive.com and click the Get Started Here button.